welcome everyone here this morning. Can we open with 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Should we continue with 55? we be greeted this morning with greetings of grace and mercy and peace from God our Heavenly Father through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. For a text this morning I will t- turn to the Gospel of Matthew to the 11th chapter and I will read starting at the 12th verse and read Read through the 26th. Reading in Jesus' name. And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, 
He came, if haply he might find anything thereon, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. Then Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever, and his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple, and he began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves. And would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, It is not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it, and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answered and saith unto them, Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Amen. This that is recorded here happens just after, just previous in the chapter here even. We know it as Palm Sunday. And it's when Jesus comes and rides the colt into Jerusalem. And there is, I'm sure, many sermons worth of understanding in that even part of the story. He goes into Jerusalem and then the next day he obviously had gone out of the city and they were in Bethany. And Jesus sees, says he's hungry. I guess it is just a little, a little thing in reality and yet just that saying, it allows us to see that he came and walked as one of us. It is just a feeling that is, I guess, universal to mankind. We get hungry and we need to eat something. And we can see here from this that Jesus felt those same things that we did. It is I guess for me it is comforting and yet it is at the same time often hard for me to believe that it tells us that he experienced all the feelings and temptations that we as people do. And we understand that it was without sin. But it is reassuring I think in the fact that it tells us that he is advocate to us for the to the Father. And it, in having experienced what we experience, we recognize as people that if we are dealing with a problem or dealing with a situation and we are struggling with it, if there is someone that we know who has dealt with that problem before. Sometimes maybe they've dealt with it a number of times or or they've handled this situation that we are dealing with before. We know if we share with them what we're facing, they can relate. They can, from experience, give us advice. And so we can be reassured in that understanding that when we 
turn to God through Christ, he is bringing our case, if I say it, to God. Because he understands what we are dealing with. He understands us in more detail, I think, than we understand ourselves. And I think it can, I would hope, reassure us that God knows completely and intimately what it is and where it is that we are at. I think oftentimes... I think the devil would want to bring that thought or that understanding that God, he created this whole universe. It's bigger than you can comprehend. Are you so high on yourself that you think that he would actually care about you or what you're dealing with? You're such a, a minuscule part of this country or this world or You're nothing in this universe. Don't fool yourself. God really isn't that interested in you. The word of God would tell us differently. It would tell us that God cares for us deeply. And probably one of the biggest problems is Not only does he care about us deeply, but he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows much better than us what is best for us. And so we can be quite sure that something is really what we need. And so then, if we don't get it, our human nature and our reasoning is like, well... God really doesn't understand the situation and he really isn't taking or being that careful of us. When in reality, he knows even better what we need. And he is providing what is best and most needful, not just for this life, but for the undying soul that he has given us, that he desires would spend eternity with him in heaven. And even those three words there where it says he was hungry, I hope that even those things the Spirit can reveal to us that Jesus knew. He knew what it was that we walked that we walk with. He cares. And and compared to the spiritual matters, compared to salvation, simple day-to-day food, yes, it's very important. We need it to live. But it is only a temporary need, whereas eternity is forever. And where we spend it is a matter of forever. So if Christ knows about our natural hunger and it tells us that we're not to even worry about those things, we're to seek the kingdom of God... And God will take care of feeding us and clothing us and providing us shelter. We can, we are encouraged and assured that God will handle those things. I think we can also, with confidence, trust that He will provide faith and He will care for our souls and He will care for us. It tells us here, and seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came if happily, happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. In the other Gospels, 
it doesn't add this part here where it says that the time of figs was not yet. It just says that Jesus came to see if he could find some fruit on it to eat, and, but there wasn't. There was just leaves. And I almost, in, in my being, wish that those words weren't added to this gospel. Because to me it is almost a, a or no, it definitely makes pause to think about that. It would almost, in my natural reasoning, seem unfair because we know what happened. It says that Jesus says that, that no, they're not going to find fruit on there and it's going to um, wither away and it does. In my mind it seems unfair that how is it that we can, that he would expect there to be fruit on there already when there wasn't any. And, and the tree gets cursed because it's just doing what it naturally would do. It makes me think of a portion that's found in Timothy, in 2 Timothy. <clears throat> and Paul writes this, these words. He says, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And it goes on there and talks about how that may be rejected. But I think if we look at this, I think that we can be sure that this fig tree, it is a picture of us. And there is fruit that is supposed to grow in our lives. <clears throat> There's this story about the city of Jericho at the time of <clears throat> Elisha. And it is just after Elijah has been taken to heaven and he comes there and the people of the city tell him that, look, we have a good city, but the water isn't good. And I... Um, I heard someone say that it was the fact that the water, if it was used for watering plants, that they would have leaves, but if they um, produced fruit, it would fall off and die before it came to being ripe. We know that in John, in John it talks about the, the vine and how if there's fruit, he purges it that it would bring forth more fruit. I think that we look at, and I've only seen it one, I guess if I say one time briefly, and it was grapevines that had not been pruned, and the people, they were actually using them to cover a, like a patio, and they were fully leafed out, and they did a good job of shading the patio, but there was no fruit on it, and they said that if you let it grow like that, it, it'll grow almost no grapes, but it will grow lush leaves. If we look at it spiritually or biblically, I think that we can try and appear good and it perhaps covers up what's really happening in our life but God does not want that he wants that there would be fruit in our life and if I say the leaves are very minor matter and in fact I think as we get further on in the text here we'll see that in reality, Christ wants that we would be exposed. That what is in our heart, we would be wanting and desiring that he would see it and look into it. And that if there is anything that is not what it should be there, 
that he would deal with it. We know in Galatians, I believe it is, it speaks of those things of the Spirit. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is. So these are the things, and when we read these things, we recognize that these are not things that we can produce ourselves. And if we look at that story of the Jesus saying that he is the vine, and that we have to be connected to him to produce anything, we see the truth when we read what it is we're supposed to produce. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And then it says something quite interesting. It says, against such there is no law. We look in the world around us today and we see them making laws about things that I don't even know how to word it. They're making wrong right and right wrong. And they're making things that God abhors to seem normal and that they are totally fine. And yet, even in their turning away from God and trying to make wrong right and right wrong, we don't see any laws against these things. There's no law against loving someone. There's no law against being joyful or meek. People can talk down about those things, but there's no law against them, even in the natural world, and definitely not in God's law. We can be good. There's no law against having faith. But I think that we need to be aware that even as it says in Timothy there, and whether it be coming and preaching from someplace like this, or whether it is speaking to the world, if I use those terms, through our lifestyle, Christ expects as Christians that whether it seems like the right season to me or not, that I would be willing to let that fruit show and let that fruit be there. That others could come and it could feed them. It could give sustenance. And it isn't of us to produce it, so it takes the burden off of us. We aren't going to produce it. But it will be produced in our lives if we are one with Christ. If we are connected to Him. And yet, when we read this, and then as we get towards the end of our text there, where they come in the morning and find that the trees dried up and dead, we see that it is something that, if I say, if our Christianity is just a matter of for show, and we have all these leaves, so to speak, to cover up what is really going on, and there is actually no fruit there, it is a bad thing. And it is something that it would appear from what this text says that Christ is not pleased with and deals quite harshly with. We notice it's, it is recorded that and his disciples heard it. They heard what Jesus said to this tree. And I think that it is recorded there even for them and for us to put emphasis on that fact that we are to 
put our faith in Christ. And that we are, allow, we are to allow him to lead us and guide us and be what gives us our all in all in life. That there would be fruit there. As I read this text, it seemed like this next portion was just something that was just interjected into the middle of a, if I say a story, because he's talking about this fig tree, and then again, down in the 20th verse there, it again talks about the fig tree, and yet in the middle, all of a sudden, is this happening in Jerusalem when he comes into the temple is just seems to be interjected in the middle there. But I think that there is a reason for that. I think because it is important for us in the context of how I guess what a priority it is to Christ that we would bear fruit and that our Christianity wouldn't be just a show. It would be something that is led and guided through the Spirit from God. Because we know and we are assured by the Bible, and I think if we have lived as Christians for any length of time, we can be assured through experience that the Spirit will lead and guide us. And in spite of our failings, and in spite of how human we are, if the Spirit of God dwells in us, there will be fruit. And we know that it was important to Christ to share with his disciples and share with others, and, that, and then he encouraged them to share with if I say mankind, all that they came in contact with, how it is that God can work in a heart and bring it from barrenness to being fruitful. And we understand that it is only through what Christ has done. Here it says, And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went in the temple. If we turn to Corinthians I believe it's the third chapter in 1 Corinthians. And it says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Jesus, and I think we could begin at the start of this chapter and go through even how he wrote on the colt. And if we look at all those things in the spiritual context, Jesus is showing and, and laying out how there needs to be repentance and how he works in a heart. Here we see that he went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. I think this tells us something about how it is that God desires we as his temple would come into faith. Jesus goes in there. He tells us in one place, freely you have received, freely give. Speaking in broad terms of the gospel message and of that salvation through Christ, we can't come up with something to pay for it. And I think this is telling us something here. Jesus, he goes out of his way and gets very, if we read in some of the other places, it tells us that he made a scourge, which is a whip out of cords, and drove these people out of there. He has no time for anybody putting a price on self, on forgiveness, a price on salvation, because he paid it. 
We as Christians understand that in reality, yes, the price was very high. It was the death and blood of the Son of God that paid for my salvation and your salvation and provided that forgiveness that would allow us to come with a clean conscience before God. But for us, it was provided free. And and if we start thinking that we can somehow pay for it, or have to do some act of service, or some quest, or some work, or live good enough, we see here that Jesus has no time for that. And if we think somehow in our heart that, well, if I can just get this portion of my life straightened out, then perhaps I will be good enough that I can come and I will be saved. I would hope and pray that Jesus would bless anybody whose heart is in that place, bless them enough that he would come and drive those things out. Drive those thoughts out. It says he would not suffer any man that they should carry any vessel through the temple. We can do nothing. I don't think that we even have the ability on our own to recognize what it is that is in there that needs to be cleared out. In, where is it? Is it in Romans perhaps? Yeah, in the second chapter of Romans it says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, it is by faith unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by him, by, whoops, sorry, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. It is what Christ has done. Shed his blood on the cross, that our sins would be covered. And then Jesus tells us in John there that he is going to, he tells the disciples that he's going to leave this world, which you recognize in the natural sense he did. But he tells that he will send the Spirit to comfort us. He calls it in that place the Comforter. I think we can take comfort in that knowledge that that spirit of God it says it will bring all things to our remembrance whatsoever Christ has said as I already mentioned he came and walked as we do he knows our struggles and he is telling the spirit how to lead us and direct us and encourage us And he knows what is in our heart. It speaks of the circumcision in our heart that it would be revealed. And that it is Christ that does that. He desires that it would be cleared out. And that even those things that we think that we would deal with, He doesn't have time for them either. It says he wouldn't even suffer those things to happen. If we are storing little things in there, he will take care of it. He knows where everything is. And he knows what is needful to be gone for our good. It says he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written... 
My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. We know that we are encouraged to turn to God in prayer. Jesus doesn't tell us that we are to go any place. He says, go in your bedroom and close the door. It says even the closet and close your door. And pray to God who hears in secret. This temple where God dwells is in his children. It isn't found someplace else. Is it someplace that is pure and that there is quiet and peace and we can prayerfully turn to God there? Or is there things going on that, as he said here, it's a den of thieves. We are trying in some way ourselves to manufacture some form of righteousness or salvation with our own works. In doing that, we are stealing from what God has provided free for us. May we, by faith, trust. Not of any works that we do or any other person does. Yes, the works that Christ has done. We see here that it causes a problem, these teachings of Christ. It says, And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. This teaching that we don't have to do anything except believe in Christ. And we can trust that the Spirit will guide us to turn away from those things that are detrimental to us. And that God can work in a heart. That that Spirit can work in a heart. We don't have to try to work. We can't work in our own hearts, let alone someone else's heart. Jesus tells us that. He will cleanse the temple. But I think it is good if we listen. It is very, I guess, important if the Spirit puts something on our heart. And Christ is saying that this needs to be taken care of, that we would listen to that. But what do we do with it? We bring it to that mercy seat. The Bible tells us that a humble and contrite heart God will not refuse. It doesn't matter what it is. If we have contrition and humbly come <clears throat> to God, the Bible assures us over and over again there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness there. And if we share that message with people, it's, well here it uses the word, astonish them. Why? Because it is so contrary to our reasoning. It is so contrary to how we think. We always, there's, our natural mind much easier deals with the balance that the good outweighs the bad. We, we can understand that. We can't understand how in the Bible it uses the term of a plumb bob, which is vertical. And there's just one side or the other. Because naturally, and it is the problem that many religions have. Even if we look at the Muslim religion. They speak of God, the loving and merciful. But as far as I have ever heard, they have no way of reassuring people or assuring people or believing that that love can be conveyed to them. 
because they do not have Christ. They work on the balance system that, yes, if I'm good enough, it'll outweigh the, the bad. But there's no way of knowing that. We as Christians have that privilege of understanding that, yes, God is a loving and gracious and merciful God. And he is also righteous and holy and and perfect and demands complete perfection. And he judges. But we have that vehicle, which is Christ Jesus, that that love and mercy and grace can be brought to us and to our hearts. And it doesn't make sense to our natural reasoning. But may our hearts believe it and be encouraged by it and be reassured by that message. And we know that these scribes and these Pharisees, they were teachers and followers of the law. And they wanted to destroy this message. Anybody who wants to walk by the law or by do's and don'ts, and that is where their salvation is, this message of simple faith in Christ is something that they want to get rid of. It annoys them. It upsets them. And it could be for a number of reasons. But just the one that how on earth... I am doing all these things and you're telling me that it's of no value and you can just believe and that's all that it takes. It would be an annoying thing. I pray that God, through his spirit, would give each of us that faith to trust in Christ. That it is enough. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up by the, from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. These disciples, they saw that. They saw what happened when Jesus, well, says, curse the fig tree. They saw what happened. I'm sure if we look at it spiritually, if we see what happens to someone who is not producing any fruit, their, their righteousness is just works righteousness. We as Christians, it is a troubling thing to see the end of that. If Christ takes away his blessing from it, and all those things wither away and they are exposed to be nothing but just a dry stick, Jesus gives in one short sentence the answer to that problem. He says, have faith in God. Don't try to do it on our own. Put our faith to where life is. Put our faith in God. And how do we put our faith in God? By putting our faith in Christ. Because it is through Christ that we have access to God. Because as I already mentioned, he is the, our advocate. He is the one, our intercessor between us and God. It is an amazing thing. Yes, the devil brings that thought that God is so big that he created all this that you are nothing. But he does care for us. And through Christ, we have access to the creator of the universe. And if he can create this universe, he can take care of us. And he can provide faith. It says, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, 
And be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. This in some ways seems like a pretty huge promise. And we were talking in Bible study the other night how it is that there was people that were mentioned who they prayed for something and had faith and it didn't happen and they turned away from God. And I think we have to read these things carefully that we would understand. And a friend of mine said something one time and I had never really thought about it in these terms and I still have to mull it over. And they said that they felt that the I say one important thing is that first we would pray that God would reveal to us what it is that his desire for us in a situation is that we could pray with complete faith and know that we are praying according to the will of God. Because if we are the children of God, God is not going to give us something that would be detrimental to our faith or our undying soul. But we are to believe. And I have heard it said, and and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But it says, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart it shall be, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And they have looked at it in the spiritual sense, and I think it is not wrong. We are dealing, each of us, if we look at, there is a mountain of sin that is, stands between us and God. And if we by faith ask that it could be cast into that sea of grace it, it is it will happen it is God's desire that those sins would be cast into the sea of his grace that the blood of his son paid for them and that we could be given faith to believe that and trust that it's the essence of everything that we would teach And I think that that is even added credence to that thought when we read the last couple of verses here. It says, and when ye stand praying, forgive. We know when, when Jesus gave the, the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, in the Sermon on the Mount, it, it, we pray in there that we would be forgiven, that God would forgive us as we forgive others. But then after, at the end of the prayer, it is the only portion of that prayer that Jesus takes and re-looks at, if I say, and, and adds to it how important it is that we would be forgiving. And here he tells that even when we're praying that we would have forgiving hearts for others. Why? Because there is nothing more needful to a Christian, or I should say there is no, well, to a Christian, but there is nothing more needful to a human being than that we would be forgiven by God. And we pray that we would, God would forgive us as we forgive others. And I have often, when I pray that, thought, that's almost a scary thing to pray. Especially if we have a heart that we struggle to forgive others. Because we recognize that without the forgiveness, how do we come to God? How Christ provided it. But if we don't take advantage of it, it is of no use to us. Jesus says here that if we are praying that we would 
forgive others. That your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. It's a very harsh statement. But it is the word of God, and it is Christ who brings that word and lays it out there for us. Let us be forgiving. Let us be forgiving of others in all situations. And be praying for others. And even here, praying for ourselves. And even perhaps praying that we could have forgiving hearts. And I think it is easier for us to be forgiving of others if we are honest and look at what it is that God has forgiven of us. We read the parable of the the man who had the huge debt and he asked and the the master forgave it and yet he wasn't willing to forgive his fellow servant who had a very small debt that he was owed. It is how it is. It seems impossible that we would have racked up such a big debt, but we have. We've been born into it. If we look at it in those terminologies, we were born with an overwhelming debt because we're offspring of Adam. But God has provided forgiveness through Christ. Let us take advantage of that and be willing to offer that advantage to others. That we would be forgiving of those around us. Why? Because we need it of them and we definitely need it of God. May God add his blessing to his word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Shall we humble our hearts and receive the benediction? May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now I believe, is it not next Sunday that's Easter Sunday? And I don't know what... Like some years we've had a good Friday service, some years we haven't. I don't know what people's thoughts are. People have plans or no plans, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why it seemed like it's been too busy. I haven't had time to think about it for myself, let alone anyone else. Maybe instead of our study or in place of our study on the witch, Thursday night or, or uh, Good Friday night? Friday. Day service? Does anybody else have any thoughts on that? Had a service Good Friday? At regular service time and no Bible study? Okay. So it's 10.30 Friday morning. We'll have service here. And, and then Easter Sunday morning. Okay. And so there will be no Bible study. Should we close with 52? Actually, before we sing, maybe I'll just say grace. Because there's potluck for those who wish to. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these natural blessings that you give us. We thank you for the food that you provide. We ask that you would be so gracious as to continue to bless us with this food. And that you would bless it to our body. In Jesus' name, Amen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to suggest we sing one more song after this.